Promised, a podcast about the hope and good news of Jesus, always including God's promises to encourage you along the way and show you how much God really loves you. Welcome to Promised with Zach Cole. We're glad you're here. My least favorite page in all of the Bible is the page that is in between the Old and the New Testament. And I'll explain why in this episode of Promised. I can't, I can't uh, attribute that quote to myself, that whole, my least favorite page is Christ in the Old Testament, even though that is the least favorite page of mine in the of Bible. Um, I have to give a shout out to a man by the name of Chad Bird. Um, I believe it was he, him that actually uh, said that first, where I first heard it, and it makes so much sense, especially in consideration of what I'm about to go through next. And it just so happens that Chad Bird, for me, is one of the, or if not my number one guy to go to um, on when it comes to Christ, finding Christ in the Old Testament. <laughs> my number one guy. It's like that scene from the movie Batman, where uh, the uh, Jack Napier uh, tells, not, excuse me, uh, not Jack Napier, but uh, the boss of the Joker's uh, gang tells him, Jack, remember, you are my number one guy. <laughs> a big comic book nerd, Batman nerd. Anyways, I digress. Chad Bird uh, was one of the first people to point this out to me that through his writings at 1517, through his books that he's written, his current one that he has out is called The Christ Key, and the Christ key unlocking the centrality of Christ in the Old Testament. Um, the reason why I say, and why Chad uh, first point out that the page in between the Old and the New Testament is his least favorite page in the Bible is because the Bible was never meant to be separated in this way. Old Testament to have us thinking, oh, that's the Old, no need to go there anymore. And then the New Testament, which is for everyone now. I definitely are familiar with several Bibles out there that are just the New Testament, and that's fine. But I think it, for me, it kind of gives the impression that uh, the old is not necessary. And through a certain point of view and perspective, I can see how people would easily have that understanding or have that approach. You know, we have in the New Testament the story and the narrative of the hope that we have in Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, his ministry that was for sinners. But the Old Testament is crucial and vital in pointing out this theme of God's plan for you and me, of creating and reconciling the world to himself through his promised son, Jesus Christ. And so it's easy to separate the two, the Old and the New Testament, and just believe that the Old Testament is a series of books in the Bible that contained a bunch of rules and regulations, a contained a, a version of God that was very gritty and, you know, wrathful and harsh or mean, maybe sometimes people think, and then the New Testament is where, oh, or God kind of snaps out of it and becomes nice and sends a Savior. 
but that can't be further from the truth. One, it's a mischaracterization of God. It's a mischaracterization of sin. And it specifically points to another topic that we'll talk in the talk about in the future, I'm sure, of the fact that God wants to be found when we look for him or when we seek him. God wants to be found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he will more or less hide himself, quote unquote, from us in anything in in anything and other in, in in anything and any other type of way. Harken back to that uh, passage in the Old Testament where Moses wants to see God's glory, right? And God will only let Moses see his back as he passes by him, and you know protects Moses in the cleft of the rock. Uh, that kind of idea that God is hidden. Um, except for in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But going back to this topic of Christ in the Old Testament, on the surface, unless you're paying attention to the specifically the promises in the Old Testament, you will. It's easy to read the Old Testament narratives, the Old Testament guides, the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament psalms, laws regulations, and miss the whole point of each book and each narrative. It'll be easy to see, okay, here's this hero that this Old Testament story is talking about. And if I make this particular Old Testament hero, like say David, for example, or Ruth, for example, or Moses or Abraham, or you name it, and to take that hero in the Bible of the Old Testament and try to put them up on a pedestal of here is an example to follow. If I am like Abraham, if I'm like David, if I'm like Ruth, if I'm like Solomon in wisdom, all these other different, you insert the Old Testament hero that you like. The idea is if I'm just, if I live my life like these individuals, if I live this moral, upstanding life, or if I can apply my life to the life of David, the things that happened to David in his life, like slaying giants or um, becoming king, I, I too can aspire to and reach the heights of these Bible characters through God's help, of course. And this is not to say that not following the morality where it was good is not a good idea to try to shoot for from these from these stories. But let's make something clear. Every character that was given in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament narratives, they were all very flawed sinners. They weren't all perfect like sometimes they're presented to be on Sunday school felt boards. If you can remember that being used growing up, maybe. And these narratives were not necessarily and not fully put in scripture to provide an example of how to live one's life the right way. The main reason why all of scripture is included in the Bible is to point to the person and work of Jesus Christ. From front to cover, from Genesis to Revelations, all that you read in the text, its purpose was somehow to 
point to the reader Christ, the promised Messiah, specifically the promised Messiah for you. And when you begin to look and read the Old Testament through this lens of Christ, things just come alive in the Old Testament. These stories, these people, these characters, it starts just jumping from the page. It starts screaming Jesus. It's incredible. It changes the entire view of the Old Testament. It is not something to be discarded as unnecessary or old, but it's something to be poured over and celebrated as, especially when you realize that this was the plan all along that this was the plan all alone by God to send this Savior to, to save his people and not just the chosen people of the Israelites in the Old Testament, but Jews and Gentiles to save the whole world. We can go back as early and see that portion in Genesis where Adam and Eve have just sinned and God is kind of laying down the Law of how existence is now going to be experienced. He starts giving the the punishments to the serpent. He gives the punishments to Adam and Eve. What was going to happen as a result of their sin? But, and I'm flipping to the page in the Bible right now in Genesis, but God also gave Adam and Eve a promise. You might be sitting there thinking, what? What are you talking about? And I'm going to go right to it in chapter 3. And actually, this was something that God promised Adam and Eve while he's talking to the serpent, to the devil. And he says here in Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 14, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this reference to the offspring of Eve being able or that God promised that the offspring of Eve would bruise the serpent's head is the promise, the very first reference to the gospel. Because who is way down the line, the seed of Eve? Christ, right? Jesus is, we are all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. So the promise that a man, that is the seed from Eve, would crush the serpent's head. And the promise that the serpent would bruise his heel, referencing the, the death of Christ. So this was the first reference to the promised seed. And that's just one example of Christ in the Old Testament. And there's so many more passages. Remember the beginning where God said, let's make man in our own image. Well, who is the image of Christ? Jesus is fully God, yes, but he's also fully man. And there's all throughout the scriptures, these references to Christ, a pre-Christmas Christ where you see examples of messengers from the Lord, or some texts will say angels, and that this messenger will tell whoever it's talking to to take their feet off because they're standing on holy ground. 
and there's no one else around but this messenger from the Lord. An angel, who's not a fallen angel, would never, never tell a human being to remove their sandals for their standing on holy ground because the angel is making it holy. An angel would never do that. Only God would say something like that. That where they're standing is holy because God is holy. And where he goes, he makes that which he is, that which he says to be holy. Or you'll see the other example of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. The, the king, I believe it was King Nebuchadnezzar, ordered to have the three thrown into the fiery furnace and should have killed them immediately. But when looking inside the furnace, it was stated that four men were found in the furnace instead of three. And the fourth one looks like a son of God. I mean, come on, who's that pointing to? Or even in the stories themselves. First, another story that comes to mind is right between Abraham and Isaac. Where Abraham is about to sacrifice his son Isaac as God commanded. And then God stopped Abraham. And then Abraham was told, because you were willing to give up your son, comma, your only son. That screamed the only, only begotten son of God, which is Jesus Christ. There's so many more stories I can pull from. The story of Joseph, my goodness, especially the ending of that story. Where Joseph told his brothers what they meant for evil, God meant for good. Look at the cross. What, what Satan, what, sin, what we meant for evil, what the Romans and the Pharisees meant for evil, God meant for good in the cross. For you and for me. All of Scripture points to Christ. Not a study Bible, but I wanted a wide margin Bible that allowed me the room to make my own notes when reading and studying Scripture. And one of the first things that I do whenever I'm on a new page and I'm making notes, I put at the very top the date, and then I'll have a little phrase at the top that says, Look for Christ. And that's a reminder that somewhere on that page, even in the Old Testament, somehow the passage that I'm reading is going to point to Christ for me. And that gives a lot of comfort to me. Now I'm confident it'll give a lot of comfort to you too. These stories will start to come alive and you'll just see the depths and the links that God was willing to gladly go to reconcile and save you. I also, I gave my son a Bible, and I writ, I wrote inside the very front cover of his Bible this inscription. Read this book asking this most important question of every passage that you read. How in these words is Christ speaking of himself to the church? Because if you read the Bible through that lens, then you're on the right track. You don't go off in the weeds of trying to interpret and read passages in the Old Testament that, that were never meant to be read and interpreted without the lens of Christ. 
Because if you remember that Jesus also points out in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said to them, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So Jesus even says that the Scriptures, which would have been the Old Testament as we know it, the Law and the Prophets, to the scribes and Pharisees of his day, he said, the Scriptures testify about me. And remember that also, that passage where Jesus on the Emmaus Road tells, so, you know, walks up on those disciples, unknowns to them that it's Jesus, but he started in throughout all the Law and the Prophets, and he walked through with them all the passages concerning himself. One that must have been a very long walk, but two, how awesome was that? That Jesus walked through the scriptures with them, showing them that they how they testified to the reader about Christ. With through this lens, you start to see the understanding of the promise. There was never this separation. The two different eras or whatever that we can understand life to be is before Jesus came, that was the time period known as the time of the promise, the promise that was given. And then after that would be known as the promised revealed in Jesus Christ that has come to reconcile the world to himself through his life, death, and resurrection, which is pretty neat. It's more than pretty neat. It's amazing. I also answered a question I had when I was a kid about, I knew that the Bible said that in order that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Him. So I knew that Jesus was the only way to be reconciled to God. I knew that salvation and the gospel was only through the life, death, the resident, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I always had that question, okay, well, how about all those people that were born before Jesus came? What about them? Well, see, they had the gospel too. They had the promise that was given to Abraham. That through Abraham, all the world would be blessed. That through his offspring, all the world would be blessed. And that God would create a mighty nation through him. And this faith and hope and the promise. And for Abraham and his descendants. And the faith and hope and the promised seed that was given to Eve. All those people that had faith in this promise. All those that believed God. The Bible tells us that God credited to Abraham righteousness. Because Abraham believed God's promise. So what is the promise that I'm closing out with in the show today? Believe in the promised seed that was given to Eve, who is Christ. Believe in the promised seed that was given to Abraham, which is Christ. Believe in the promised Messiah who would come that you'll read about in David, that you'll read about in Isaiah, that you'll read about in all these other passages in Scripture of this promised one to come. And when you're reading and studying these Old Testament passages and heroes and characters, you name it, look for Jesus. Ask, 
how is this story pointing me to Christ? And you'll see it unfold and unlock for you in wonderful, promise-giving ways. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Promised. Look forward to being back with you on the next episode. Consider one, he does not work, but believe in him, he justifies in godly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Romans 4, 5.